when we just want to fit in and be like our neighbours, are we forgetting who we are? When our friends discuss religion and we stay silent about Jesus, are we forgetting who we are? When I don't want to tell my friend what I believe because I'll be persecuted, am I forgetting who I am? When we choose to fly under the radar and hide our views on moral issues, and then are we forgetting who we are? When I'm comfortable doing nothing to stop evil, nothing to help the needy, comfortable doing nothing to bring light to people's darkness, I am forgetting who I am. Today Jesus confronts us and calls us to be who we are and to show who we are by shining out with good deeds for God's glory. We've finished the Beatitudes, those eight statements of who the blessed ones are, and we're continuing in this series in the Sermon on the Mount. We've already been reminded that of our unworthiness before God and that if Christ has saved us and changed us, then we will live differently. If we've trusted in Jesus for our right standing before God, then we will hunger and desire to live righteous lives. We will want to please God. And God will empower us to do that by his spirit. And we will even be willing to be persecuted because of righteousness. For Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. But I think as we struggle with sin, there'll always be that temptation to stay silent, to fly under the radar and to hide our faith. And Jesus, in verses 13 to 16, encourages us to not do that, to not hide. Through the metaphors of salt and light, we see the penetrating power of the gospel and the penetrating power of the people who are transformed by it. As you'll see from this outline on the screen and in your notes in the new sheets, Jesus says, firstly, you are the salt of the earth. If you're filling in the blanks, that's what it is. You are the salt of the earth. And you refers back to verse 1, Jesus' disciples. And yet you and I, as followers of Jesus, we are the salt of the earth. In the first century, salt was used as uh, a flavour agent. It was used as a flavouring and it treated wineskins, it was used as a fertiliser, and yet in a society without refrigerators, it was particularly used as a preservative. And as a preservative, salt stops things decaying and going off, and that's probably the main point here. We, Jesus people, are to try and restrict and restrain the world's Corruption, the world's decay. In other words, we are to be purifying agents in a corrupt world. And there is a, a purity about salt. I think that's why it was 
added to all of the Jewish sacrifices. They were all offered with salt. Leviticus 2 verse 13 says that. And being the salt of the earth, that means we are to positively impact the world. And we do this by our righteous lives and by proclaiming the gospel. So model Christ-likeness in a fallen world. Model and show people what it looks like to be a Jesus follower in a corrupt world, in your world. What is corrupt we oppose in love. We penetrate society for good. We act as a kind of moral antiseptic. And so that means as much as it is within your power, by God's grace, stop the influence, the spread of evil and injustice in your realm of influence. Can you provide for people practically, someone in need in your life? Maybe it is a refugee. Maybe it's a single parent. Maybe it's someone who's housebound. And as salt is rubbed into meat to stop it going bad, and I'm not really a fan of corned beef, but hopefully you get the point. Salt is rubbed into meat to stop it going bad. In your contact with people, in your shoulder-to-shoulder friendships, we, you are, we are to be an influence for good. We're to bless people as we display the love of Christ to them, as we show them the love of Christ. And so in your workplace, in your school, in your sporting club, will you actually seek the good of others, even when it costs you? Will you put others before yourself? Are you the flavour of Christ? Are you the flavour of Christ's likeness among your work colleagues, your non-Christian work colleagues? Are you the flavour of Christ's likeness? at the Saturday park run and on the sporting fields, at the mother's group? Is there a sparkle of joy and unselfishness that makes you truly attractive to others? Or may we say that makes Christ in you truly attractive to others? Is that joy and unselfishness? Attracting others' attention. And we'll come back to that. Sometimes this being sold of the earth, though, it means even when we're persecuted for Christ's sake, we respond to people with love. And so sometimes being the salt of the earth will mean being the salt that is rubbed into people's wounds as we denounce what is wrong. Sometimes we cop flack for it while we continue to love our neighbour. And maybe that means that we saying to our Member of Parliament that we don't agree with abortion, but we at the same time show genuine compassion in action to the struggling mum who's facing a crisis pregnancy. Maybe it means in a one-to-one conversation when it comes up, being open with my gay relative that I don't agree with gay marriage, but I don't see myself as better than them. I want to maintain a relationship with them. I care for them. And I'll have to work hard to maintain that relationship. 
and to show love in action. This is not easy. Jesus then says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. It's useless. Now, technically, salt, sodium chloride, can't lose its saltiness. Okay, it's absurd. However, salt deposits along the Dead Sea also contains, as well as sodium chloride, they also contain impurities and other minerals. And so that salt could lose its saltiness over the years by leaching caused by rain. And that salt could lose its saltiness to the point that it becomes no good for anything except building roads. And so Jesus is saying to his people here, he's saying here, so don't lose your saltiness. That's our next point. Because salt that's not salty is useless. So don't forget who you are, Jesus is saying. Don't forget that you are the salt of the earth. Even here, non-Christians use that, that phrase. Someone's a salt of the earth person. Are you a salt of the earth person? If we don't hunger for righteousness, in verse 6, if we don't show mercy to the needy, verse 7, if we uh, do not have pure hearts, verse 8, we will lose our ability to be purifying agents. And hypocrisy will undermine our influence and our testimony. Hypocrisy, so saying we follow Jesus and then living like we don't, it damages our Christian witness. It invites the disgust of non-believers. And I think that's been brought home starkly to us. Into the royal, through the Royal Commission into the abuse of children in institutions and in churches. Hypocrisy by Christians and Christian leaders, it undermines our witness and it brings shame to Christ's name. We've got to be people of integrity, people who do what we say, who practice what we preach, and truth and love must not only be seen in our words but in our lives and in public and in private, whether you are at work or at church or at home. People of integrity. And so the, the Christian must retain their Christ-likeness, their saltiness. And if we become just like the people around us, contaminated by the world's impurities, we lose our influence what Jesus is saying. For our influence depends on us being distinct, not identical to the, those around us. We must not hide who we are. And while we will suffer persecution for Jesus' sake, Jesus is saying here, don't isolate yourself from the worlds. Don't hide your faith away. And if you are new in following Christ, if you are a new Christian, I think you may even more so feel the pressure of this to hide who you now are, especially from those who will respond to you with hostility. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. 
And no comments to a Christian should be more hurtful from their non-Christian friend than when that non-Christian friend says to us, you're no different from everyone else. May that not be us. You are the salt of the earth. So be what you are. Be different. Bring good. Before we come to consider us being the light of the world, to understand this rightly, it's important for us to remember that Jesus is firstly the light of the world. In the context of the big story of the Bible, Jesus is the light of the world. With humanity's fall into sin, the world was and all its people were plunged into spiritual darkness. And yet the Old Testament promised that there would come one who would bring light. And as we read earlier, from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And who is that? It's the Messiah, isn't it? It's the suffering servant who in verse 6, he's the child who is born. He's the son who has been given He's the one who, of whom it is said he's mighty God. He's the prince of peace and the one who will reign over David's kingdom and the kingdom of God forever. And as we read in Isaiah 49 and verse 6, God says of this Messiah, this servant and king, he says, I will make you a light for the Gentiles. That's we non-Jews that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And Christ does this as he opens eyes that are blind. He does this as he frees captives from the, the clutches of sin and death and Satan. Jesus is the one who is the light of the world who frees us captives from the clutches of sin and death and Satan. And so when Jesus comes, he's the one who says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. And I hope you have come to him and that he's brought you from darkness to light. Because when we trust in him, he brings light to our spiritual darkness. He brings truth to our ignorance and life to our spiritually dead souls. God calls us out of darkness. He has called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Daniel Shayeste confesses that he would rather have died than consider Christianity. 
In Iran, he became a radical Muslim leader. And yet later, when he first read in John's Gospel, the word became flesh, it captivated the entirety of his being. By the time he finished reading John's Gospel, he had lost his religion. He now lives hiding in the United States and thousands of young Muslims have come to the Lord through his evangelism and through his ministry called Exodus from Darkness. You see, Jesus continues to save people from darkness. And he even uses us, his people, to help bring that about, to save others from darkness. We who trust and follow Jesus, we have Christ in us. And so it is God's light. It's the light of Christ in us that we now have at the very centre of our being. And so it's because of that that Jesus can now say to his followers, you are the light of the world. The light is not actually from us. It's not generated by us and our morality or our goodness. We are the light of the world only in the sense that Christ is in us. His spirit is in us and we reflect his light. You reflect his light. If you have Christ in you, then you are light. So, so, shine. Shine out the light of Christ to others. Jesus is saying, don't hide it. Don't hide it away, whether by sin or by compromise or by laziness or by fear. I mean, we don't put bowls over our candles. There's a blackout and you get your candle out. You don't put a bowl over it. No, we put them on candlesticks. We put them on tables. We put our lamps on stands. I mean, these days, even with our electric lights, they're mounted on the ceiling so they can shine out light to everyone, so that everyone in the house can see Because lights are made to be seen and they help people see. So shine out the light of Christ to others. And don't shine it out in a temporary, flickering sort of way like some candle that's going out. No, we we don't shine it out with a spark of light here or there or just now or then. It's meant to be consistent, continuously. We're always to let our light shine before others like a light on a stand, like a city on a hill. One of the things my family are enjoying about living in our home now in Greensboro is that at night from our dining room window we see beautiful lights on a distant hill. A light from lights from Doncaster in the distance shine all the way to us. And it's the nature of light to shine. And whenever a person has received the light of the gospel, they will shine in a dark world. They will shine with the good deeds of verse 16. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, 
looking back to the Beatitudes, our good deeds will include us being meek and humble, us showing mercy and compassion to people, us being peacemakers, and looking forward to what's to come in in the sermon, us, these good deeds, they will include us rejecting anger, valuing marriage, telling the truth, turning the other cheek, loving our enemies, giving to the needy, rejecting hypocrisy. So we shine out with good deeds by our righteous lives, by our love that's shown in action, and by pure motives. In other words, we shine out with good deeds by living differently. John Dixon speaks of this in his book, I recommend it, The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission, Promoting the Gospel with More Than Our Lips. More Than Our Lips. And it's like what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without faults, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. You shine out the light of Christ to others when you make the time to call someone or have a coffee with and take a caring interest in the life of a a lonely person. When you promote truth and show kindness and goodness and integrity at work. When you speak the truth at school. When you speak the truth at school and when you speak the truth in love. When you speak the truth in love on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever social media platform you use. When you take time to visit the sick, when you provide for the poor in Jesus' name. In Acts chapter 6, the Jerusalem church set up a daily food roster for the poor widows among them. In 46 AD, in response to a famine that was ravaging Palestine, the Apostle Paul conducted a decade-long international aid program earmarked for poverty-stricken Jews. In 250 AD, the Christians in Rome supported 1,500 destitute people every day. At that time, Mediterranean churches also set up food programs, hospitals and orphanages. In 350 AD, Roman Emperor Julian was looking for a cure to the sickening advance of Christianity, which was spreading, he thought, because of the Christians' care of the poor and needy and neglected. What about in our day and time? Yes, we may not need to start a hospital here. But who are you caring for? What, can, what good can you do or continue to do? 
What sacrificial love does God call you to? What sacrificial love and care for the needy does God call us as a church to? I don't have all the answers, but I would love to hear your suggestions. And why do this? Why shine lights to others? Jesus says, doesn't he, in verse 16, that so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we don't do good so that others will look at us. It's not about doing it with a a look at me attitude. No, it's not so that they praise you, but so that they praise and glorify God. So we're not to be like the Pharisees who did their good works to try and earn God's favour and so that others would admire them. It's not about us being admired. We live differently so that people will glorify God. And that is just what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That is the purpose of our shining, that others may glorify God with us. And when God's glorified, that means he's given the honour and the recognition that is due to him. But I ask, is that your purpose in life? Is that your purpose in doing good to others? That God would be glorified by you and by them? If we hide our lights, if we don't let others see who we are and how God changes people, then we've forgotten our purpose. Don't forget your purpose. However, if other people are to see our good deeds and glorify our Heavenly Father, it means that they need to know that we're Christians and we have a Heavenly Father. They'll only ultimately glorify God when they turn from sin and trust in Jesus and worship God from their hearts and with their words and with their lives. Francis of Assisi is renowned as saying, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's not true. The good news of Jesus is a message that requires words to communicate it. And so people cannot know, they cannot know that there is a heavenly father who sent his one and only son into the world so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. They cannot know that message without words. Words being spoken. No one can believe the gospel without words. So do not think that being salt and light is only about good deeds and loving actions. It's also about bold witness that speaks of Jesus the Saviour and who can bring them to a heavenly Father. So we need to speak about the God who has saved us and the God who we serve and tell people why we live for him. Shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. 
John Stott writes, How splendid it would be if non-Christians, curious to discover the secret and source of our light, were to come up and inquire, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Never had someone come up to me and ask, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Only it were that easy, hey? It doesn't usually happen like that. Still, our changed lives, our living differently, does sometimes lead to opportunities to speak. Let me finish with this true story. Kim and Christian were faced with every parent's worst nightmare. Their daughter Sophie, two years old at the time, was diagnosed with leukaemia. And so began the regular visits to hospital and their endless tests and anxious months and years of waiting. The birth of their second child just brought more challenges. Kim and Christian were not believers. They never attended church, but Kim did go to a church playgroup. The Christian component of the group was low-key and Kim recalls the group being very social and the Christian mums leading the group worked hard to create a warming, warm and caring environment. But this Christian environment became palpable when Sophie fell ill. Suddenly a food roster was set up as people from the playgroup dropped from the, from the playgroup and the church dropped off regular meals to Kim and Christian. Others phoned to see how they were doing and to offer help. Their lawns were mown for them. Kim remembers one woman she did not know arriving at the door one day with a bunch of flowers. She wanted to find out or know how uh, I was doing and she wanted to let me know that her Bible study group was praying for us and to see if we needed any help. Kim met others who spoke of their prayers for her. One of Kim's great supporters was Lisa, the playgroup coordinator. Lisa had offered to pray for little Sophie at her bedside. Kim said, at the time I was taken aback, but, but each time was filled with peace and hope. The gospel effect of this on Kim and Chris was real. In Kim's words, the prayers and support of the group really made us want to find out what it was about them that made them do that and go out of their way to help us in our time of need. And Chris said it's been so powerful to witness this exceptional, exceptional behaviour and to want to find out where it comes from. The opportunity to find out more came one night when Lisa invited Kim to an evangelistic event at church with a visiting speaker. Kim said, I wouldn't have gone if Lisa hadn't taken me. And at the end of the Christian message, Kim began to cry fairly uncontrollably. In that moment, the Lord made himself real to Kim and she embraced Christ with all her heart. Chris embraced Christ soon afterwards. He'd been a skeptic before and had questions about God and religious belief, but observing exceptional behaviour together with learning the gospel in an intelligent and sensitive way confronted his doubts with the reality of Christ. Kim and Christian are now very much Christians. And they give thanks to God that Sophie's cancer has been in remission for seven years. 
good deeds and gospel proclamation often combine to draw people to Christ, to the glory of God. Our world is bad and it needs salt. Our world is dark and it needs light. And what do people who live under Christ's gracious rule look like? Difference. So remember who you are. Remember that you are salt and don't lose your Christian tang. Remember that you are lights. And let that light of Christ in you shine brightly. Be different. Let's pray. Now, Lord God and Heavenly Father, you came into this dark world and the Lord Jesus in his light shone brightly. And we thank you that by your grace and a work of your spirit, you have called us out of darkness and into your wonderful light. And Lord, we now have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the spirit in us. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would enable that light of Christ in us to shine brightly in our worlds, that we might show our non-Christian neighbours and friends and fellow students and work colleagues the difference Jesus can make. Lord, the, the power to do this is not from us ourselves. So enable us to live this life you call us to, and may we do it for the glory of your great and gracious name. Amen.